Hey guys, welcome back to Better From The Ground Up. This is going to be part two of the two-part series with guest Paul Bodenstein, continuing the conversation about agronomics and their importance in agriculture. Hope you enjoyed part one. So here we go with part two. Every morning when you get up, you run up the flag that says balanced nutrition, and you salute it every morning. That's what I'm here to do today. That's my strategy. There's no magic program for everybody. It's about identifying what's most limiting and fixing it. So it's amazing what the crop can do when your nutrition is squared away and everything's good and adequate and balanced. Okay, so moving forward a little bit, um, we are going to touch on um, technology in agronomy, uh, technology in agriculture. Um, precision farming, we know, uh, has changed a lot of things. There's all kinds of cool technology out there. There's downforce there's drones there's thermal imagery and, and infrared cameras and there's all kinds of fun stuff but one of the things that um i want to i don't really want to talk about that too much uh, that's not my cup of tea um, i'll let a precision guy handle that but um but data analysis let's talk a little bit about the role of, of data and data analytics um and how you use it um to help farmers make decisions um about uh about their inputs, their budget, um, how to address issues and things like that. So uh, would you mind running us through um, just a little bit of an overview on your opinion uh, of data and data analytics in, in agriculture? It helps to evaluate new products. You know, that's one place where we use data, data collection. Mm -hmm. So we've identified a problem. We mentioned iron on soybeans. Yep. How what are the different ways that we can correct that? The first question everybody says, we'll just go out there and follow your feed the iron. We'll put it out broadcast. It said, you can't do that. Iron gets tied up really quick. Yep. Okay, so it's going to get tied up, not available. So now we have foliar. But then you find out that that's only good for maybe a week, 10 days, two weeks. And then yep. are you going to do it again? How many trips are you going to make? Is there any way that we can stimulate the microbes who are very much involved with iron? Mm -hmm. So if we come across something solution that we think we have we're going to tell the growers that we're going to set up they're all on some kind of you know either uh climate or my john deere and try to get a handful of growers four five six of them uh, i've got a very helpful guy chad swindall in mississippi who who's been around this equipment all his life and he's a young man still to help make sure we set that up how we're going to capture that data so I don't have to have replicated plots in the field. I'd like to have a couple, but if I don't have that, I've got so many different comparisons by soil type. Mm -hmm. So we want that yield data. We want the uh, tissue sample data to measure whether it's nutrient concentration at certain stages of growth, whether it's going to be a weather factor. We have, we maintain 44 live weather stations because mm -hmm. we're one of those companies that think weather's got something to do with production agriculture <laughs> um and, and we have to go back where you live in god's country where it rains every day when you want it to and then it doesn't when you don't want it to maybe not be a difference but for us that's a real important component right of, of managing it so when we get a reaction or a positive or negative we can go back to one of our weather stations that's fairly close by, almost all of them are someplace close and say, okay, were there any weather events that could have impacted the way this data is going to be interpreted? 
right. first. Sure. Overlay the weather data first. Sure. To see if there's anything unusual about that. Then it's what shows up in the yield monitor. And then what we, what we try to do during the season is we're monitoring that. Mm-hmm. I don't know any other way to use it. To use it by itself is, I don't understand how people make decisions with it. Uh, they say, we've got all this data. And I'm working with Chad. I know enough that a lot of this data is not very well organized. Is that a fair way of saying it? Sure. Sure. So, I mean, how does anybody make a management decision other than now the farmer's peace of mind? So the biggest utilization of it so far has been the auto steer. If that's considered precision and technology mm-hmm. that's being used. Uh, I like the guys. Most of the guys I have are young men, which I'm very grateful to be around. They're so they're fun to be around. This this the iPhone is like their left. It's like their third hand. So for me, it's photographs, it's pictures, it's um, FaceTime when they're in the field. Lift this leg, you know, lift this leaf up, turn it over. Mm-hmm. All right, we want samples of this to go here. I want samples of this to go here, and samples of that to go there. So we can identify what's going on here. Uh-huh. And we have to eliminate it. And again, other than that, to, to, uh, uh, to get, well, my grower tried this product. He did it on half the field, not the other. Yield monitor said there was no difference in yield. That stuff doesn't work. Really? How? I don't know how you make a decision like that. Does that make I mean, because yes. I hear that all the time. Yes. I hear that all the time. Right. Well, you, somebody's, it's all about yeah yeah there's there's a ton of that yeah i did this on half the field and i didn't get a yield increase um and it's like okay well um so what happened you know why didn't you get a yield increase what did the product do it did something i guarantee it did something um so that's how do you uh, collect that data right where's the data on on your thing roi biologicals not to interrupt you sorry is how do you get the data on which microbes you deal with the populations Right. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, there has to be you have to have ways to measure everything. Right. And you have to know what you even need to measure. Um, You don't measure everything just for the sake of measuring everything. Right. So, uh, I mean, one thing that you talked about in some of our first meetings was, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Right. Correct. And so then the, the next discussion to me is, all right, what do we need to measure? Um, You know, we know we need to measure things. Which things do we need to measure? And that's where the tissue testing comes in such a big deal. We know we need to measure the nutrient status of the plant at certain times throughout the year. Um, um, So then with biology, um, it's kind of the same thing. Um, What do we measure? There's There's some labs that you can send microbial products to and verify the CFU counts and things like that. But to me... um, it's it's measuring the plant nutrient status when we use those, you know. So all the biology drives plant nutrition, or it should. Um, it, it should always improve plant nutrition. If it improves root health, it's going to improve nutrition. If it improves, um, if it's really a phosphorus solubilizer, then we should see an improvement in our phosphorus levels in the tissue. So balance, not the, necessarily. It's balance, the, Cody. The ba- the balance look of at, looking looking at the less we're. You bring up, I'm we going to jump about right there. That. You know, you say, well, if I put this out here and get more phosphorus, I should see my phosphorus level going up. You go, no, they don't. It doesn't work like that. So a lot of times, like I, the classic is zinc. We're going to put zinc out here. I should see a higher level of zinc. 
Nope, doesn't work like that. A lot of times when you put zinc out, the zinc level stays the same or maybe moves incremental, but your manganese level will jump up. Does uh, that make sense? Right. Okay, so sometimes it's the balance. So don't get hung up about measuring exactly. We talked about that when you were down here. You said, you know, we always assume, oh, I put this out so it should go up in the tissue. And you said, no, right. not necessarily. Your balance should improve. Your Correct. ratios should improve. Which is why we give it scores. Your right. ratios, your scores should improve. They should get closer to zero. Right. Right. You and know so I mean? that, that's something we haven't talked about yet on here is, is the nutrition balancing. You know, so so a lot of people are familiar with tissue sampling, have at least heard of it. All of our customers, for the most part, are doing it. Um, but the but the balance is something that really just doesn't get talked about. It just doesn't. You're the only person that we've ran into that focuses heavily on the balance and the ratios. Um, and obviously we believe in that. Uh, that's why we're doing it. Um, but um, to that to that regard, um, could you could you fill us in a little bit more on maybe uh, how you even became aware that the that the balance mattered, you know, and not just the levels alone? Um, that's something we've probably talked about before, but um, be curious to see you know, when did that concept come up? Was that shortly after you became independent that you started looking at that or? Oh, no, no, no. This was, we start. I started doing tissue samples in 82, mm-hmm. big time. I made the decision soil samples were okay to have as a baseline. I have an idea what's going on, but couldn't reflect what was happening in the field mm-hmm. under stress. Too much water, too much heat, not enough water, cold, yep. wet, dry, all that kind of stuff just looking at the levels. So there's three ways to look at the tissue sample that I know of. I'm sure there's other ones, but one was like the first started, a lot of these were started and researched in the, at, during World War, at the very beginning of World War II. Uh-huh. So you're talking about 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. And they all had lysimeters out in the field and they would measure nutrients that were getting down there. Anyway, they said that, okay, here's the, here is the uh, level that we're shooting for. Then that didn't work. It just didn't work. So then they said, you know what? We can do it. It's a range now. Now it's, it's called a, that first one was called a critical nutrient level and CNL. Uh-huh. And they did a range. I said, well, if it's in between these ranges, it's probably okay. Well, these two guys from the University of Georgia came up with this thing. They call it DRIS, D-R-I-S. And they said it's the balance and the light bulb went on. I thought this is it. And all of a sudden, Everything started working. I went, whoa. Then they gave some they gave some ratios and some comparisons, but what we just started doing for all of it. And then so I just started building my own database on this thing. So I was working for a retail uh, fertilizer company, uh, uh, you know, I would call it a regional, but we were only in two states. We were just in Virginia, North Carolina, but it worked. Um, we just then we started working with really good growers who we could see a field that was do, looked good from the beginning. You know, some of these fields that do well, they look good from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look, you can just tell like, something's going on here. Right. So then we would start to take tissue samples and leaf samples. I remember the first time we broke 60 bushel soybeans. I remember the first time we broke like a hundred bushel wheat, mm-hmm. you know, first time we broke 300 plus bushel corn. We had those databases. Now, 
Here's the thing about tissue samples, back up just for a second, is, and I caution people about this, this idea about, well, I'm going to take it every week. And, and that comes out of anybody's mouth, they'll tell you they don't know anything about tissue sampling. Because you can take, this is America, you can do what you want, it's your money. But to manage with it, your soil moisture is a relatively narrow window of optimum when that to manage with that tissue sample, first of all. So it's when you take it doesn't have to be every week. It needs to be at certain stages. We have three different stages that's helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't know, very few people take it all three. Some do, but very few. Mm-hmm. So I caution you about that. Then what I did was develop this database and I went, I found a data analytics company in Atlanta. They're not, they're not anything to do with agriculture. I didn't want them, I didn't need them to be in agriculture. I just needed them to be able to manage data. Mm-hmm. Professional data analytics, people that people that just manage data and can spot the trends and know how to run the statistics and all that kind of stuff. So we set it up. So every tissue sample now that gets sent to the lab, and I don't have a lab, I just, uh, I work with one because they're the neatest ones, the cleanest, they're very professional. They send the results down to Atlanta and they're running on every tissue sample of 176 or 177, depending on how you want to count, different analytics, call them algorithms, call them rules, call them this, that, and the other. Right. But that's what they're running. So when they, with the sole purpose of the, which element is most limiting. Right. Because if you don't correct what's most limiting, you're probably not going to get a response or a consistent response. To see that, you know, I mean, you may get a response sometimes, but it won't be consistent. Sure. So, once we identify what's most limiting, is this something that we can change in season now? Is this something that we're talking about for next year? Is this something that we're talking about is the actual lack of that element in the soil, or is that something that's being caused by something else? Right. Does that make sense? Sure. Absolutely. So now we're, now we're sitting there going, okay, we have this. And sometimes we just don't know. Every year we find which is, you know, every find we find some different scenarios. We see the trends. We're do, we do about 3,000 tissue samples a year. P- your people send them in. Other people, our clients send them in. Mm-hmm. I pull a bunch. Um, that's where we start because this, it, uh, what we've learned is that some of these elements are very, very difficult to manage. I mean, manganese, iron, uh, molybdenum. Uh, these are elements that have popped up as being most limited that we just, the textbooks are very vague about how you work with this stuff. Right. So, uh, nitrogen is another one. Potassium is another one. Um, magnesium can be tricky sometimes. And so we have to learn how to, number one, is to, how much our, what's our confidence that this is the element? How, this is what we think is causing it. How do we correct it? Then how you and I got involved was that uh, the the bio? I call them bio solutions. This generic. Right. Some of it is living living things, mm-hmm. like the bacteria and the fungus, it, or it could be something that feeds the living things. Right. Um, comes in there, or it could be a plant growth promoter type of material mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't really have an impact on the microbes, but really tells the plant, I, I need to get more of these nutrients back up. So, but yep. the combination of the three of them and how we've been able to put some of those together um, to really monitor what these things are doing. Right. 
uh, it's been it's been pretty impressive to me. So sure. my goal is to it, my goal is to get a plant that's nutritionally balanced. Right. Okay. Yep. Everybody, there's two components of that. One is amount. The other is availability. Right. I look to the traditional way we've done things. You know, we talk about chemical fertilizers like there's some kind of poison. There's nothing poison about it. It's we've got to use them. Um, that's where we get the amounts. Okay, but that doesn't tell us anything about availability. Right. It's the biological part that's helping with the availability. Because yep. we're not picking up the same amount of nitrogen every single day on a corn crop. We're not picking up potassium every single day in exactly the same amount. Mm -hmm. There's a period there for about 24 days on a corn plant where we're picking up six, seven, eight pounds of potassium per acre per day. Yep. You have to have a pretty available source and concentrated source to be able to supply that kind of need. Sure. There's other elements. When is this element being needed? Uh, so that's where I use different sources. Once we identify what the problem is to help support this balanced nutrition at the end of the day, it's balanced nutrition, balanced nutrition, balanced nutrition, balanced nutrition, balanced nutrition. Is it it's balanced nutrition? <laughs> it's the best herbicide, best fungicide, best sectocide you can possibly get is get a plant that's balanced. And growers don't even think like that. They just are taking a soil sample because somebody else is taking it for them most of the time. Yep. In the winter. And I'm just going to assume everything's balanced, whether it's 100 degrees out or 50 degrees out. Right. Whether it's raining for three days or we haven't had it rain for three weeks. It's all going to be balanced. And you go, that's just not the way it works. And so what we've learned is that we can take the best of both worlds. Right. So. And go back to my original statement, we're all on a budget. Yep. So, you know, we all have a numbers that we have to run at. And so where is that best dollar invested? Right. And that's what okay. we, we've learned, you know, working together with you has been sometimes it's the nutrient we want to buy. And sometimes it's the biology we want to invest in. That's correct. Right. So this is just a, a never ending process of fine tuning, you know, what's the scenario and what's the answer or answers, right? You know, in, in the last episode, I talked about, you know, some nutrients, there's one, there's really only one way to tackle it that we know of. You know, there's other things we're trying, but there's one way that we know works. Some nutrients, it's like, well, there's a few different ways we could tackle this, right? Um, and right. when you talked about the source of material, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, there's some sources that are more available than others in drier conditions, things like that. So um, it's been awesome to be able to work together on this because before, you know, when I started a biological company, I tell people all the time, I learned so much about microbiology and biologicals. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the answer. This is it. You know, this is it. You know, we're going to go out there and, you know, start using all these products and, and, you know, make them part of our program and our yields are going to go way up. And we saw pretty quickly, like, nope, that's not always the case. Like, mm -hmm. you, you don't just get to go out with a great biological product and raise the yield. Like, it's just a tool. It's another great tool in the tool bag. But, you know, the tools don't make the mechanic. The, the you know, if a mechanic wants to fix a car... It's not the tool that's magic. It's his knowledge. He knows what the problem is and how to fix it. Of course, he's going to use those tools to fix it, but it's not the tools that that 
made the, you know, that it's not the tools that, that made the improvement. So, you know, understanding, owning a biological company and understanding that they're just tools in the tool bag is something that's happened to me, you know, over the past few years working together with you. Um, you know, so that, that's been, that's been something that's been tremendous. And, and, uh, so, um, moving forward, wrapping up here, um, there's just a couple more things that I want to, want to run through really quickly. Um, you know, we, we, we're, there's a lot of challenges in agriculture. There's all kinds of stuff, right? There's so many variables we mentioned earlier. There's, there's however many variables there are to yield. Um, it's a big number, right? There's a lot of things that impact yield. So how do you, how do you control those variables? How do you measure those variables? Which ones do you measure? Which ones are not as relevant? Um, you know, so, um, one thing that comes up a lot these days is, is climate change, right? So, no matter what anybody's opinion is on climate change, um, why it's happening or if it's not happening, it, let's hypothetically, it's getting warmer every year, right? So right. that would be abiotic stress, right? Right. So, you know, when we talk about, oh, let's, let's just say it's getting warmer every year, um, we know what kind of stress that puts, you know, some crops are going to take that harder than others, right? Right. So, um, you know, Climate change is kind of a vague statement, but let's just say it's let's just say things are getting warmer. Um, in your opinion, it's the same thing, right? It comes down to first balanced nutrition, correct? To manage that, you know, for the plant to, to be able to mitigate its stress and to to work through that stress. Um, and the biologicals or the biosolutions are just another tool to help mitigate some of that stress and improve the nutrient balance, right? That would be, yes. I mean, you're going, yes, absolutely. You have um, abiotic stress. You, you have, corn. actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I wanna pause there. There's been some times we've sent you pictures of cornfields, and we were like, what is this? Like, it doesn't really look like any deficiency that we notice. It doesn't look like a disease we notice. What the heck? And you're like, you send us a letter back, you know, this is abiotic stress. And it's like, wow. You know, and I guarantee that gets misdiagnosed all the time as, oh, that's a potassium deficiency, or that's a nitrogen it, deficiency, or that's a, a potash. Is the best. Yeah. That's the big, yeah, biggest one. That's a potash deficiency. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, no. So, uh, well, Cody, on top of that, uh, not to make it cause you to lose any sleep, but some of the stuff we've dealt with in the South, um, there's certain species of fusarium. Everybody thinks about diseases. That's the one I'm worried about diseases as being cold and wet. Yep. Well, you can get a lot of diseases that come in there when it's hot and dry. Sure. You, you know what I mean? But you say, sure, but people don't think about it. Oh, you know, and yes. And so um, there's a certain kind of fusarium that we've been fighting down here in the South that both Iowa State and Ohio State have identified. Uh, so you have different. So somebody says fusarium. Well, how many different fusariums are there? There's like 90 something different fusariums. Mm -hmm. The ones that we have in our light, sandy soils with our heat are different than what you would have in Northern Illinois with it being cold and wet. Or like I used to tell people, have you ever been in Minnesota in the summer? And I would say, yes, sir. I was there for both days. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's so, right. you, so right. you get, you get a, you get a species change. Yep. Okay. So the one that's been the predominant species that you guys have under control with the genetics, with the chemicals, mm -hmm. see whatever. And then all of a sudden, with it, uh, you know, I'm like you, it is getting warmer. Now, whether it's man made or whether this is just a natural cycle 
I'm not qualified to say, but we all agree it's getting warmer. No kidding. Um, and we've done some things like we're in the middle of getting ready to plant wheat. We always said start plant wheat the 10th of October, which is today. And, or the, yesterday, excuse me, today's the 11th. But now I, I tell everybody just chill till about the 20th. Just just chill. And our data shows that the that window for optimum wheat yields in the mid-Atlantic has moved from October 10th to about October 20th. So we're moving some planting dates back. We've changed. We've gone from very long season wheats to shorter season wheats. So we're making some changes. I can see the difference. I can measure the difference. And we're on top of that, but we don't account for much in the way of production that you all do. Right. So some of this stuff hits Iowa, Northern Illinois, Indiana, all of Illinois, uh, Kentucky, Missouri, South Dakota. Those are going to be, those guys are going to be grappling. Um, you see what I'm saying? And, and all of the literature I'm getting from out there is cis nematode, cis nematode, cis nematode. Well, you know, you know damn right well that they're going to bring fusariums are coming right behind them. Sure. If they're not already there. Your sudden death syndrome. Yep. That's a fusarium, but it's under the wettest parts of the soil, cold and wet for, for sudden death. But you wait and you see what some of these other funguses do. Uh, when you plant in warm, dry conditions, it's a different species, reacts differently. It can be just as devastating as sudden death. Sure, sure. You know, but I, I don't want to discount some of the good news from, you know, global warming, okay, or whatever, climate change. There's still, according to the data I've seen, a lot more people that die from cold weather than they do from warm weather. Yeah, great news. So, you know, so you have if you know if it, if it if it takes some of the stress out of some of these places where it's so cold. Um, yep. There's it's not it's not a hundred percent gloom and doom is what I'm saying is that there's and agriculture has always I'm very optimistic agriculture we've always been very nimble mm-hmm. and I think that that we'll stay nimble for a while. It goes back to your original question about why do we have agronomy? I wish we saw more young people. Uh, doing the agronomy part, sure. Um, the interdisciplinarian part, right? But there's a lot of biology and a lot of chemistry and a lot of organic chemistry and a lot of math and a lot of sciences and all that stuff. And not everybody is up to the task. I get that, but it's been a very rewarding career. I mean, it's been so exciting. Some of the things that we've witnessed in the almost 50 years of been doing this. Sure. Well, you told me the other day when you guys first broke 60 bushel beans, the national average was what then? It was 20-something, 29 or 28 or something. It was – have to get my dates and all that stuff straight because it's been so long. But I remember that was 70 bushel wheat the first time we did that. We thought we were – state average in Virginia was 32 bushels. Wow. And after we did a high-yield project on wheat in 1981, within – by 83, we were we had yields – fields, fields, averaging over 70 bushels to the acre. We thought we were dying and going to heaven. Yeah, that's why we work with you, Paul. Yeah, we thought we we thought we worked somebody, and we, and we were. It was very exciting to get these breakthroughs, and then you know, getting David up over six hundred bushel corn. You know, that kid in Georgia that got that two hundred and six bushel soybeans. You see what the potential is. Yep. Yep. You know, you see what much we, higher than far. people think. Yeah, you know, there's still people yeah. that go online and say that's not possible, and it's like that's uh, not. Yeah, oh, they cheated. Right. Yeah, oh, they, they cheated. They just made yeah, they, it they, up. They, they made that up. They, they, whoever measured that was the combine was, you know, with all this kind of stuff. But you go, you know, you can what was math. phenomenal about that kid in Georgia, his statement was that, hey, you know what? 
we always used to be around soybean seed at 23, 24, 25, 2600 seeds per pound. Mm -hmm. He said his average was something like 1500 seeds per pound. Right. So it's that, that weight again. How do you pack on more onto that weight? I don't know. I'd love to have that seed to plant. At least take a look at it. That would be tempting. <laughs> they were asgro beans, so you'd have bear down on the farm. But anyway. Yep. So, that, so I'm optimistic about it. I think the uh, you're going to see some pest changes mm -hmm. on there. I think we're – but we're going to pull out new weapons too. Right. We're, uh, exploring, we're exploring a new fungus yep. for us this year that we're very excited about that uh, – has been yeah um, involved. We're, we're, we're this is going to be our first entry into the fungus, a living fungus, right? right? For ROI. Yeah. Well, we. I mean, we've right. we've we've carried mycorrhizae products before, but we've also seen um, we've seen mixed results, and a lot of it, I think, is because people's soil phosphorus levels are so sky high. But um, anyway, yeah. The this would be the this would be a very new uh, species of fungus that we've been working with um, that, yeah, that it, it seems to be, um, if it if it turns out the way it looks like it's going to turn out, it's going to be a, a phenomenal solution to a few of our problems. So, um, right. so yeah, that's, it's, it's exciting for sure. Um, and we're, we're using, we're using your, um, we're using your um, detonate yep. on wheat seed, yep. the combination of having the zinc in there. It's typical zinc that we've used forever. Right. In addition to a plant growth promoter, in addition to the amino acids, in addition to your bacteria, right? Yes. Yep. And all that combination, it's yep. Growers are seeing it. I mean, we're seeing uh, the results. There's no doubt. You know, and it's just like okay, how, we want to capitalize on that. We want to make sure that people get the yield increase. We know that's what they want, and we just can't stress enough that all this other stuff matters just as much as these products, right? Like the whole, the disease prevention, the insect prevention, the, you know, the nutrient balancing is what it comes down to. So, um, and the timing. Yep. Yep. Well, we're so confident with that seed treatment that we have gone, we've actually cut back on the recommended seeding rate because we're getting some, we're getting that extra tiller to where we can cut back on the seeding rate. Seeds expensive. Sure. Buying certified weed seed. And on that thing, so if we can cut back from 1.8 million down to 1.5, which is what we're doing, yep, that's that that reduction in population is taking care of the cost of the seed tree. Sure, does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I said in the last episode, you know, we don't often we can make improvements in yield and ROI without even increasing the budget. You know, there's there's places we can make cuts that have that have been. Well, we're we're doing a lot of that, so and we're we're very happy with what. Well, you, you know, I'm very happy with that. So good. That's what well, we, that's that's how, well, that's how we're incorporating. So I and it's summing it up. I know it's time to go, but it's summing up. We're looking at the buy when this plant. It's all about plant nutrition. Uh huh. It's all about balanced plant nutrition. Right. We're looking at the traditional fertilizer materials for amounts. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then we're looking at the biological component to help us with the availability. Sure. Okay, so I just and with the two of them, amounts and availability, and farmers understand amounts. They understand it in spades. They're business people. Those are numbers. Yep. This, this availability thing is a lot more nebulous. It's really kind of how how are we going to measure that, and it's sure how are we doing it. So that's that's where we've seen it. But again, it's all contributing 
to a balanced nutrition. Sure. It's nutritionally balanced plant, which is our best herbicide, insecticide, and fungicide. Yep. And able to forge some of the reserves that we put out in previous years, especially phosphate and zinc. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's how we're that's how we've been incorporating it in, in, into the programs. I agree completely. So um, thank you very much for being our guest today. Um, one one thing that um, the last thing that we want to mention. Um, uh, do you have any suggestions for for growers or agronomists that are listening? Um, any any recommendations you would make to to the listeners, uh, particularly the growers, for um, for something that they can do to um, improve their education in agronomy, um, or would it just be a general statement? You know, just find find ways to uh, find ways to learn about uh, about agronomy. Um, you know, my my recommendation to guys is, you know, if people want to know about diseases, I'll send them pictures of books that I've got. Hey, here's a compendium of soybean diseases. Here's a compendium of corn diseases book. If you really want to learn more, the information's out there. Um, I mean, would that be the same recommendation you have to listeners, you know? Um, yeah, I would guess so. Sure. I wouldn't, I don't know how you'd start other than, um, you just pick a topic and jump in, right? Yeah. Or just, yeah. Uh, just look in your, look in the field. You know, we always start out. The first thing we do with growers is take your tissue samples at this part of the plant under these conditions in this window. Yep. I and, and let us, we can, with that, we can go ahead and get you in a direction. And then if you pick one topic, okay, we one guy was interested, he was talking about how does nitrogen work on a corn plant? Yep. That was his question. And he said, I really want to know. I said, how much do you want to know? <laughs> so then I could direct him into, you know, I could take pictures of textbooks or I could direct him to different articles or I could direct him yep. to do things. But with with what we have today with Google Scholar and Google, yep. you know, these search engines, these AI search engines, there's you can find just about anything you want to find out. But just don't get it's it's there's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> right. If you you get overwhelmed in a hurry. But if you just take one I can tell you when I when I was in the business, not selling, not selling like, well, when I was, I do sound like an old timer because I am an old timer. It was the guys who were the most curious were always the ones that grasped hold of the thing. You know, it, it, I don't know whether you I can could teach that, that whether, but if, you know, if you're curious, try to take a little bit of time and research it and try to find out what exactly does this mean. But sure, you know, I go back, I just, I, to, to finish up with my famous quote, I use it all the time. I trust farmers implicitly to observe the phenomena. Mm-hmm. I just don't trust their interpretation of the phenomena. Okay. And I hear that all the time. Well, this happened, this happened. So therefore it must've be this. They go, that's a great theory, but ain't right. That's not how it works. And so, <laughs> you know, yep. I don't, you know, I don't, you don't have to be an agronomist. You have to know when something's not right. Right. Looking at your crop. Right. And I, you mentioned David Hewlett. He says it, all the time be a student of the crop be a student of the crop be a student of the crop yep you know what is it out here the color's not right what are these spots what's this down there what's doing there and yep again um for us the tissue sample has been a good tool not very many people most of the labs that you're getting the results back from are 
saying, well, here's what our average has been. So this is this is right in our average. And you're you right. miss so much like that. Yeah. Absolutely. So you have to you have to go back to look at who your source is and who you're getting information from and say maybe they're maybe they're not as helpful to me as what I'd like. Right. Right. Okay. Well I think that'll wrap it up for today. Uh, appreciate you, Paul. I'm sure we will have you back again. Um, but thanks very much for hopping on today and uh yeah. yeah, it's been great to work with you and hopefully um I told you last time you were here I'm gonna need you to live to about 125, 130. because uh, uh yeah, we're not we're not anywhere near done with you yet, so stick around. <laughs> All right, Chief. Appreciate All you. Right, thank you, guys. Have a good one. All right. See ya. Thanks. All right. Thank you guys for joining in on that. And I'm, I'm so glad that you got to hear from Paul Bodenstein. He's been a great resource and he's a knowledge of wealth for us um, to be able to access and work with. So uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you guys are interested in learning more about what we do and how we work, if you're interested in working together, please just go to our website, rlibiologicals.com, and go to the Contact Us page and shoot us an email or find us on Facebook and send us a message. Um, Someone will get back with you shortly. So thanks again for listening. And remember, if you want to learn more or work with us, just go to rlibiologicals.com or look us up on Facebook and send us a message. Thanks. Thanks.